0: Hey, this is Lawrence Tam. Thank you for attending the Project Mayhem with Lawrence Tam, the idea that you can do anything you want if you put your mind to it. and So we are doing our Book of the Month Club, and I decided to change formats from a video webinar to audio. Um, and one of the books we'll be reading or have read for May 2014 is a book called The Co-Giver by Bob Berg. Um, I've been fortunate enough to – reach out and be able to snag, carve out some time, and actually get the, the actual author, Bob, on our podcast. And I wanted to just give a quick shout of who he is, what he's done. Um, you know, Bob is a sought-after speaker at corporate conventions and entrepreneurial events. Uh, he regularly addresses audiences ranging in size, you know, from 50 to 16,000, you know, sharing the stages with, you know, uh, public figures, athletes, politicians, and even the former United States president. So I, I just think this is pretty cool. We got someone who's, you know, really spoken to a lot, a lot of people. Um, you know, our our niche in Project Mayhem is primarily home businesses, small business owners, and internet marketers. So it'd be really cool to have someone who's in a different, different type of niche, but it's still in business and in sales. Um, and and his book, The Go Giver, uh, which was co-authored by John David Mann. Um, It actually hit number six on the Wall Street Journal's uh, business bestsellers. And uh, in three weeks after its release, it hit number nine in Business Week. Uh, It's been translated into 21 languages, and it's its fourth book to sell over 250,000 copies, which is pretty, pretty cool. I'm going to bring out Bob Berg. Bob, can you hear me?
1: I sure can. How are you?
0: Awesome. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Bob. Um, do you want to just give a quick maybe update on, on who you are and introduce yourself to our you know audience? Even though that that, that resume I just gave out, I don't know if it's a resume, but it's there's it a lot of accomplishments. But so is there anything you want to give to our, our audience?
1: Yeah, well, thank you. I, I just uh, I began as a broadcaster first on radio and then on TV. I was really a really a, a lousy broadcaster though, and so I quickly graduated into sales. Uh, However, I really knew nothing about sales, and so I floundered. I mean, I knew intuitively it was about trying to bring value to others, trying to um, you know, offer a product or service that was going to make their life better in, in whatever way it would be of value to them, but I didn't know how to go about it. And the training, if we can call it that, at that first company, was uh, sketchy at best. And so really I floundered for a while until I stumbled into a bookstore, and this is about 30 years ago, well, a little more than that now, um, and I, I saw a book on the shelf that has since become a, a classic in the field called How to Master the Art of Selling by Tom Hopkins. And when I first saw the book, it, the title alone encouraged me because it was Master the Art of Selling, not the guesswork of selling, uh, you know, not the not the just do whatever you can uh, of selling. It was the art of selling, and. I got the book and I just went through the whole thing. I highlighted and I underlined and I took notes and I rehearsed and I practiced. And I mean, it was just in three weeks, my sales went through the roof. And the only difference between where I had been and where I was three weeks later was that I had a system to use. Uh, I personally define system as uh, a system as the process of predictably achieving a goal based on a logical and specific set of how-to principles. So. The key is predictability. If it's been proven that by doing A, you'll get the desired result of B, then you know all you need to do is A, and you'll get the desired result of B. This is what you help people with in your field, of course. And so... Um, you, so there's really no need to reinvent a wheel. And so I began to really make a study of sales and selling, and I began to study Zig Ziglar and, and others of that day and, and have never stopped studying it. But uh, I went on to be sales manager of a company and then started sharing with others what was working for me and for my team and eventually began speaking on the topic, and and I still am. So I've, I've had a, a really fun time with it.
0: That is That is awesome. So... So um, I, my background is mechanical engineering, which mm-hmm. is pretty funny now then I'm in sales and a uh, typical introvert, uh, middle child. And uh, I get a question a lot is, you know, I'm awful at selling. I hate selling. How do I make money, right? Well, how would you respond to that?
1: Well, first, we always need to define our terms. And when, when somebody says, I, I hate selling and I'm not good at it, what do they really mean? How are they defining selling? And I guarantee you that the person who says that, and by the way, I'm also a middle child and I'm also an introvert, so uh, I can I can totally relate. Um, but the person who says they hate selling, they're defining selling in a way that's very counterproductive. I guarantee that they are looking at selling as something you do to someone, not with or for someone. I guarantee you they're looking at selling as being fast-talking and trying to overwhelm or dazzle someone. Uh, they're looking at selling as trying to take advantage of someone or, or trying to talk someone into buying something they don't want or need. And if that's what selling was, I wouldn't be good at it either, and I wouldn't want to do it, and either, either would you or anybody else uh, who you know, cares about others and cares about themselves and lives by a set of values. So, so let's redefine selling. And let's look at what selling really is. On a very, very basic level, selling or sales is simply finding out what someone wants or needs and helping them to get it. That's what selling is. Uh, Selling is not about taking advantage of others. It's about bringing people more advantage through your products and services or opportunity or what have you. Uh, Selling is not about taking. Selling is actually about giving. Do you know the the old English root of the word sell was salan, which literally meant to give. So when you're selling, you're literally giving. Now, someone might say, well, wait a second. Isn't that just semantics? And I would say, I don't think so, and here's why. When you're selling – Uh, When you're presenting to someone, what are you really giving them? I suggest you're giving them time, attention, counsel, education, empathy, and most of all, you're giving value. So if we reframe what selling is and we understand it's doing something where the only way we're going to be able to make a profit is by providing exceptional value to someone else, now selling becomes something that not only can we embrace, but that we can really enjoy and feel good about.
0: Hmm. That is deep. That is deep. The act of actually giving. And everyone who I've generally met, that's the first hurdle. Once being okay with actually giving something of value, solving someone's problem, then you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, and it doesn't mean,
1: of course – oh, I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: No, no, go ahead, go ahead.
1: And to say giving doesn't mean you don't get paid for it. It's that your focus is on providing value. It's a shift of focus from yourself to the other person. This is why John David Mann, my my awesome co-author and lead storyteller of The Go-Giver, it's why we say that money is an echo of value. Money is an echo of value. It's, it's the thunder to value's lightning, which simply means that the value must come first. The focus needs to be on giving value to others. Focus on you, the, the value comes first, and the money you receive is simply a very natural and direct result of the value you've provided another human being.
0: Wow. Money is the echo of value. <laughs> In, interesting. Because I guess most people have a, a conception of selling as like just grabbing and, and taking and manipulation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's a really good way to put it. I, I, I like that. And you. Um, you know, with, with Internet marketing, you know, most people come online, they're thinking, okay, I, their end goal is to make money. They want to make some money now, which means it's more of a go-getter type of, mm-hmm. of position and so the, the main character, Joe, um, in the book, you know, he, he's a go-getter. He's like, you know, he's got deadlines. He's got he's to gotta make this close. And he was recommended on, on being mentored by someone. Um, but so is go-getting a bad thing then? Because that's where everyone starts off at.
1: <laughs> right. Um, no, go-getting go is a great thing. Uh, but we need people to be go-getters as well as go-givers. Why? Well, go-getters get things done. I mean, you know, you started out when you came from that engineering background, and you were really looking for something else. You learned some principles, and then what did you do? You began applying them. And and you know, we're we're in business. We know that uh, all the great thoughts, great ideas, great intent is is all for naught if. Action is not put into the mix. So being a go-getter is a terrific thing. Now, fortunately, there's no, there's no um, natural division, if you will, between a go-getter and a go-giver. Many go-getters are also go-givers, and I would say that every go-giver is also a go-getter. So the opposite of a go-giver is not a go-getter. The opposite of a go-giver is a go-taker. And that's that person who feels almost entitled, if you will, to take, 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 without having added value to the person, to the process, to the situation. And you know we've all known people like that, and they can be good, you know, well-intended people, but they tend to be very frustrated because they rarely achieve the kind of financial success they feel they deserve. And even when they do, it tends to, to dissipate very quickly because it hasn't been built on a solid foundation of giving value to others. And so when we say, you know, in the book, Joe was described as a frustrated go-getter, but that's not why he was frustrated. He was frustrated because he was also a go-taker. Remember at the beginning, everything was about Joe, about his quota, and about who owed Joe. And, and well, you know, I love to say when I go to a sale, when I speak at a sales conference, you know, nobody is going to buy from you because you have a quota to meet. Hmm. They're going to buy from you because they see doing business with you as being of value to them and that's the only reason why they should buy from you that that makes perfect sense um and so as joe in the story began to learn and and he 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 then became a go-giver and here's what we mean when we say a go-giver it's someone who has learned to shift their focus from themselves to others they go from being I focused or me focused to other focused, always asking themselves, how can I provide value to other people? And it may be directly through your product or service, but it also might be other ways. It might be through introductions, might be through suggestions, maybe through information, maybe through a a certain skill you have, what have you. But it's always looking for, for how you can make another person's life better, easier, richer, more fulfilling, or whatever. So that person who needs to make money now, and who, who doesn't? Everybody wants to make money now. If you want to make money now, you, better, you sure better find a way to provide value now. <laughs> and, but usually, and it's not that it takes more time doing it this way. It takes less time doing it this way. Um, but instant, you know, instant gratification isn't necessarily congruent with the principles of, uh, of life
0: instant gratification that's that's you know that's kind of like how today's life is right having t- stuff on dvr having things instantly downloaded um, speed dial <laughs> so everyone wants to be pleased immediately, right. and it's, it's interesting so everyone's their own center of the universe but when you shift that paradigm and you're actually interested willing and wanting to help others the echo of money comes back how did you stumble upon this well how about the book
1: uh, you know, it's an interesting question how I stumbled upon it because I, I, I had a and still have a great example growing up. My parents are, you know, are to me the ultimate go-givers even though they that's not something we would have had a name for um they both focused on providing value to everyone they met they just just by na- by their very nature um they you know they have a hugely successful marriage they just celebrated their 57th anniversary and the story in the book where pindar tells joe that you know the reason for his long-lasting marriage is because all he wants to do is make his wife happy well, that came from a conversation I had with my dad when I was 10 years old, and you know, and and which you know, and, and we explained in the book because you know, because of political correctness nowadays, you know, we had to explain that doesn't mean that you should that we're talking about a you know, putting someone else's happiness before your own in terms of a codependent type of relationship or something unhealthy. No, it's when two people who genuinely want to benefit the other person who want to bring value to that other person who put the other person's needs genuinely in front of, ahead of themselves that's really where it all starts now obviously we don't love a networking prospect like we love our family but we can still uh, we can still focus on bringing value to their lives. Law number three says what? Your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. That doesn't mean you should be a doormat or a martyr or self-sacrificial in any way. It's simply that, as as Joe, the protege, learned in the book from a couple of the different mentors, all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know like and trust, and there's simply no faster, more powerful, or more effective way to elicit those feelings from others toward you than by being genuinely interested in helping them.
0: Hmm. Hmm. So, so you brought up the laws. Let's let's go over the laws. So, it's interesting. So, you had these five laws of stratospheric success, and. I love the fact that you actually put it in the back of the book <laughs> versus having to highlight it and go, okay, what were the five? <laughs> um, the, five <laughs> the five we have is law one is the law of value. Law two is the law of compensation. Law three is the law of influence. Law four is the law of authenticity. And law five is law of recept- – how do you even pronounce that? I can't. Yeah, re-
1: that's a tough one, receptivity.
0: Receptivity. Okay. So – Can you explain each one and kind of, I guess, have it a little more digestible outside of the story of, of Joe, but like today's, you know, business person? Law well, the, Sure.
1: Well, the law of value simply says your true worth is determined by how much more you give in value than you take in payment. But that can be confusing uh, if you just read that out of context, because it sounds like we're saying you know, that you should be going broke, right? Give more in value than you take in payment. It sounds like a recipe for bankruptcy. And so we simply have to understand, and this is key, we have to understand the difference between price and value, Uh, Price is a dollar figure. It's a dollar amount. It's finite. It is what it is. Value, on the other hand, is the relative worth or desirability of a thing to the end user or beholder. Uh, In other words, what is it about this thing, this product, service, concept, opportunity, idea that brings so much worth or value to another person that they will willingly exchange their money for it Uh, and feel great about it while you make a very healthy profit. Let's look at a real-world real world example outside of, of Internet marketing and so forth. Uh, just to put it in perspective, you, let's say you hire an accountant to, uh, to do your taxes. And this accountant charges you, we'll just name a round figure, $1,000. That's his fee, or literally that's his price, $1,000. But what value does he give you in exchange for this $1,000? Well, first, using his experience and hard work, dedication, and, and attention to detail, he saves you $5,000 on your taxes. He also saves you 25 hours of time, or you know, certainly countless hours of time, uh, so that you can be doing something that, that uh, you would rather be doing and that you're more qualified to do. He also... Provides you and your family with the security and peace of mind to um, you know in knowing that it was done correctly. So we see here that while price is finite, it's 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 just simply a a, you know uh, a finite is what it is type of concept. Value is different. Value can be both finite in terms of the it can be concrete if you will in terms of the $5000 savings but it can also be conceptual in terms of the the uh, peace of mind of knowing it was done correctly and i would bet that the peace of mind is even of more value to you than the $5000 that was saved so so what the accountant did was he gave you well over $5,000 in value or use value in exchange for a $1,000 price or cash value. So you come away from this feeling great, of course, you got more in value than what you paid, but he also made a very very healthy profit for what he's selling his time and expertise for. So both of you came out ahead. And in a true free market exchange, which simply means that nobody has to do business with anybody else, both parties should come away from this transaction far better off than they were before the transaction.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, both would win. And so in this example, it seems like if the seller or the person retailing a product or service actually defines the value to the customer, then the value is easily transferred or relatable, uh, dollar savings, time savings, um, audits, whatever. Um, that, that's a really good point. Um, and we do that a lot in internet marketing. And we do that in sales pages, uh, ad copy, being able to show someone what you get in return. And then when you show the price, like, oh, that's that's actually reasonable. That's actually – worth my time savings. Yes,
1: and that's why it's a great point. And that's why it's so important to sell on value, not low price. I I often say to my audiences that unless your last name is Walmart, then selling on low price is probably not a good value proposition for you to use. (laughs) Uh, You know, low price is a race to the bottom. So what you want to do, you know, let's face it. When you sell on low price, when you sell on price, you're a commodity. When you sell on value, you're a resource. And so that's what you want to do. You want to not come down on price. You want to raise the perceived value and the true value. But I say perceived because value is always, always in the eyes of the beholder. It's how they perceive it to be of value, not how how we the salesperson uh, see it uh, as value.
0: And so if you're a go-giver, you can really dive in and know what they value.
1: Yes, and you're absolutely positively right. And what you would do is ask questions. Uh, You ask questions, and I love how John David Mann, my co-author, phrases this. He says, you ask questions and then listen, not in order to uh, have an answer, but you listen just to listen. And what he means is, you listen to understand because it's only when you understand what they need, what they want, what they desire, now you're in a position to be able to see and communicate how the benefits of your product or service match their needs, wants, and desires.
0: Hmm. That's awesome. Um, To me, this was or probably is the most important law that people are looking for, the law of compensation. What is the law of getting paid?
1: Well, this simply says that your income is determined by how many people you serve and how well you serve them. So for example, in, the, in our first example, our accountant did a great job of giving more in value than he took in payment while making a profit. So if you're his, his client, the chances are you are very happy with him, you would do business with him again, and most likely you would refer him to others. Uh, it's well, um, and, and the same probably holds true for his other clients. So, so our accountant is very quickly amassing what we call an army of personal walking ambassadors. And as he continues to add that kind of exceptional value to the lives of more and more people, his income will continue to grow and grow. You see, as Nicole, the CEO in the story, told Joe, law number one, the law of value, as important as it is, that only represents your potential income. It's not enough to just provide exceptional value to one person. Uh, Law number two represents your actual income, and that has to do excuse me, with impact, how many people whose lives you touch with that exceptional value. So we could say that exceptional value, law number one, plus significant reach, law number two, equals very high compensation.
0: Hmm. It's not solving one person's problem, but solving many.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: Hmm. Awesome, awesome. Um, Let's see, the, the law of influence, what is that?
1: Well, when, you know, when we think of influence, and we, and we say the law of influence is that your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first, uh, influence itself can, can be basically defined as, simply as the ability to move a person or persons to a desired action, usually within the context of a specific goal. But, you know, whether we're talking about leading a team and influencing that way or influencing one prospect to become a a customer or a client, it all comes down to, you know, what they feel is in their best interest. And and again, that's how it should be. And uh, Dale Carnegie said this, I thought, wonderfully in his classic How to Win Friends and Influence People. I thought this statement of his was the underlying premise of his entire book, and that is people do things for their reasons not our reasons. So the key is to always ask ourselves, what is their reason? Why would they want to do this? What is it that makes this thing special for them? And again, we, we get that through focusing on them, asking questions, listening to understand, and so forth. It all comes down to, to you know, how willing are you to place that other person's needs before your own needs because they're not going to buy based on your needs. They're going to buy based on their needs. And when we understand that element of human nature, now we can relax and we can say, and this is where selling gets fun because when people don't like the idea of selling, it's because it's got to be about them. Instead, what selling is is about the other person. <laughs> and so when we can do that, take our minds off ourselves and focus on bringing value to another human being, the whole process gets a lot easier and more fun.
0: Hmm. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. That's deep. Because, um, yeah. So, okay, the, the law number four, the law of authenticity, I guess kind of wraps up, not wraps up all of it, but it kind of brings together some of the value and how you get paid. Sure. Well, you're right. Authentic, right. Yeah. Um, so that's just more being real, because everyone's really real. But is it because you're trying to force a sale? Is that well? Kind of how that is? No. You make a great
1: point, and it does. It is very important. Uh, the law of authenticity says that the most valuable gift you have to offer is yourself. Uh, in the story, Deborah, one of the uh, one of the mentors shares a lesson she learned earlier in her career, and that is that all the skills in the world, the sales skills, the technical skills, even the all-important people skills, are all for naught if you don't come at it from your true authentic core. Now, when you do as I like to say, show up as yourself <laughs> day after day, week after week, month after month. People feel good about you. People feel comfortable with you. People know you. They like you. They trust you. They're much more likely to, uh, to want to be in relationship with you and to, to do business with you. And you know, so, so being authentic is so important, but it brings up, I think, a question. And that is, well, if authenticity is so important, not just because it's the right way to be, but because it's also the more profitable way to be, which it is, why would someone not show up authentically? And I think many times what happens is that people don't have the self-confidence to really really understand and embrace their, their own value. And so what happens is it's hard to show up authentically when you don't feel you have anything to authentically show up about. And so that's why I I like to make the point that we really, as human beings, we all have what I believe, this is my opinion, of course, we have two types of value. One is intrinsic value. Just by being born, we bring value to the equation, and we should feel good about that. The other type of value, though, is what I call market value. And market value is that combination of talents, strengths, uh character traits that allow you to bring value to the marketplace both individually and to the market as a whole for which you will be financially compensated. And we all have those as well. The part in the story about Deborah was she accidentally learned about hers right before she ended up leaving her business and it's a good thing she did. But but we we shouldn't have to learn our market value through uh, accident <laughs> because we're taking a chance of luck when that happens so what I suggest people do, and I can't tell you how many times I've, I've been you know, coaching or mentoring someone and they've told me what they're doing, and I was wow, that's terrific. And their response was, oh, no, no, everybody knows that, or everybody does that. And they weren't being falsely modest. They really didn't understand that what they had to offer was so special. And the reason why is because as human beings, we're, you know, we're too emotionally involved with ourselves. We see the world through our eyes, and we assume what we can do. Pretty much everyone else can do. It's very natural, so that's why it's so important to have either you know a coach or a mentor, whether it's on a formal basis or just someone who you you trust and who you know you, someone at work or who you know cares about you or a friend or you know. Um, and I, I know you take on you know clients, but but you're pretty full up yourself. But when but when somebody. When you have room to take someone and someone mentors with you, has you as a, a coach, an official coach or a mentor, they can benefit by you helping them to, uh, to, to help really be able to uh, qualify and quantify their market value, which is, is why you provide such a great service.
0: Mm. Yeah, that market value is important. Um, law number five, the law of receptivity?
1: Yeah, you know, this one says that the most valuable gift you have um, excuse me, <laughs> let me take that one back. I stole the last one. This one says the key to effective giving is to stay open to receiving and you might recall late in the in the story when Pindar, the main mentor, asked Joe, his protege to uh breathe out and hold that breath to the count of thirty now i don't know if you if if you've ever tried that before, but it's tough <laughs> and so within a yeah within about ten seconds, Joe was pretty much out of breath, gasping for air and. Pindar said, what's the matter, Joe? Can't do it. Joe said, no, I, 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 can't, I can't just breathe out. I've got to breathe in as well. And, and Pindar said jokingly, he said, well, Joe, what if I was to tell you that it's been medically proven that it's actually healthier to breathe out than it is to breathe in? And Joe just laughed. He said, that's silly. You can't do one or the other. You've got to do both. Well, exactly. And in the same way that as human beings, we breathe out and we breathe in. We breathe out carbon dioxide. We breathe in Oxygen. We breathe out, which is giving. We breathe in, which is receiving. In that very same way, giving and receiving are simply, they're not two separate concepts. They're not opposite concepts, but they're two sides of the very same coin. And as long as we embrace that, uh, then we know that so long as we have given exceptional value to many people, we have earned the right, not the entitlement, but the right to receive. The key isn't, am I a giver or a receiver? No. It's, I'm both a giver or a receiver. But what you've got to do is know where the focus should be. The focus is on the giving value. The focus is on the giving. The result is receiving.
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome, awesome. So I, we have a we have a couple of questions. I'm going to narrow it down to two. Um, we have a question from one of our, our listeners who read the book. Alicia Stringer from Tennessee says, um, if you're really giving, um, how do you know that they want it?
1: Well, that's very key. Uh, and, and I'm sorry, you said her name was Alicia? Uh,
0: Alicia. Alicia.
1: Oh, hi, Alicia. Thank you for the question. Yes, the, the – um that 's the important thing see it 's not enough to give value to someone if they don 't value it. Remember, value is always in the eyes of the beholder. so when someone says well i 'm giving all this value again, but they don 't appreciate it or that well, to them they may not see it as value. so what we 've got to do, and you know sometimes you can uh, you can test and see if they they value it. Other times, you, you learn it by asking questions and paying attention and seeing what things are important to them. So that's a wonderful, wonderful question. When we give value, we must do it in such a way that they value this value. Remember, as I've said several times, and this is so important, value is always in the eyes of the beholder.
0: Mm. Mm. So this is kind of uh, similar to the next question. This last question we'll take from Stephen Bauman, um, I guess – He's, he's in a situation where he wants to um, like grow his network and sell, but I, I guess something happened in his network and, and he just feels like he's stuck kind of like Joe um, and no one really takes him seriously. He doesn't seem to be able to, to grow out of it. Like, and, and he, of course the reference is, well, Joe got lucky. Well, of course got Joe lucky. He got lucky. He found the person that could be a connector and, and all that. Well, how, what do you tell someone who feels like they're kind of like stuck in a network where no one really takes him seriously, even though they're trying to give value to them? Well,
1: I you know, I would say to Stephen that, for, you know, of course, I don't know his own unique situation, so I, I don't know why that would be the case. Uh, so I, I'm answering a bit out of ignorance here. So instead of being specific, I'll just be general, that what you do is you become a more value-based person. Uh, and whether that's a matter of making sure you read the book of the month and start taking action on that, or whether you mentor or counsel with someone who might be able to give you, so you say, well, what am I doing that makes it so that people, I, I don't know, because I don't know you, but you but to maybe get together with someone who does know you and whose opinion you respect so that you can ask them why is it do you think that people in my network aren't taking me seriously? first of all let's assume you know that we're assuming that is a premise maybe they are and you don't know it or what have you I really don't know but let's assume that's the case to ask that person why they think that would be and then listen to them and when you say Joe got lucky Joe did get lucky, but Joe also made his own luck. Remember, uh, Joe went into Gus's office and asked for the number of uh, of the chairman. Uh, had he not done that, he wouldn't have gotten lucky. So we, we create our luck. We create our luck by knowing where we want to go and then taking action that, that brings us closer to that all the time. So um, – you know, I, I, what I would say if I was going to a- answer the question as best I can without knowing, you know, anything about you, would be to get with someone uh, who you respect and ask them for their uh, opinion as to what you may or may not be doing that is causing you to not be taken seriously by your network, and then make the uh, correct adjustments.
0: Mm. So I, I have a saying I, I tell people: um, <laughs> the harder I work, the luckier I get. <laughs>
1: That's right, and that's why it's also important to be a Go-Getter as well as a Go-Giver.
0: Well, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so I'm going to just everyone from our, our, our newsletter readers to our podcast listeners, you know, we want to thank you for your time. You're an extremely busy person and just very fortunate to be able to, to get time to sit down with you. So you know, how can our listeners learn more about you, know, about you and where to find more about your projects and your books?
1: Sure. If they'll go to berg dot com, and that's spelled b u r g dot com, uh, while they're there, they can connect with me on social media. They can subscribe to my influence and success insights, which is very value based information we send out. Uh, they can uh, check out my blog if they'd like, and they can also che- and they can, by the way, download chapter one of a couple of my books, The Go Giver and uh, Adversaries into Allies. Uh, they'll see that right on the. Uh, uh, they'll see that as a couple of tabs right on the uh home page. They can also check out our uh GoGivers International membership community if they'd like as well. So there's plenty there and it's all on the uh on the home page at burgburg.com dot com. So I invite them to uh come on over and hang around a bit.
0: Awesome, awesome. So one of the principles of the book was um the you To stay on with the task of of meeting the next person the next day, you had to implement the law that same day. So how can our listeners give value to you?
1: Well, you know, really just by taking this message out, and if they enjoy the message, uh, just like you have, you know, you enjoyed the message because it's something that you were already doing. Uh, And we find that with many of our... Our readers they 're already successful they 've been living these principles, whether they call them these laws or, or not, uh, and then just uh, you know' tell others about them The, the reason why this book has sold over three hundred thousand copies so far, and John and I both know the reason it has is because of people like you who get the book, you relate to it, and you want to share it with others so uh, you know anyone who does that is is always that 's always very appreciated
0: that is awesome. Well, I want to thank you. Uh, this, is, this is a wrap-up podcast number eight. And if you want to learn more about you know, what we're doing for the Book of the Month Club, go ahead and see the show notes at laurencetam.net slash podcast eight. Thanks.